Why can't he stay radical Islamic terrorism? Oh, apparently the same reason you can't, Mr. President. Because, you know, you need those people. You need people to be your allies. Well, I don't Stuff like that. Here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. You also don't want to make the problem I'm worse. I'm scared in case I fall yeah. off my chair. For yourself. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I don't have to tell you. You're the president. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Maybe I do have to tell him. Yes, I'm stuck From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Grand Rapids, Michigan, on WPRR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. An all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Just trying to make sense of it all. Glad you can join us for that uh, sometimes impossible task, as it may be once again today. You know, that that quote, Desi Doyen, of uh, Donald Trump saying, why can't he say radical Islamic terrorism? Yes. Well, we'll we'll ask uh, ask my guest coming up shortly about that. But it seems like every single thing that he is now doing as president, he has either contradicted in a tweet or is contrad and or contradicted in a uh, in a in a campaign rally or a media appearance. It's true. There really is a contradictory Trump for every single situation. Uh, he he talked about. Uh, do we have that uh, that mafia clip? Uh, yeah, play play that mafia clip. Here here was Donald Trump talking about. You know, uh, hey, we, I think this was during the campaign. He was talking about Hillary Clinton and uh, some of her uh, people staffers, associated with yes. her staffers who had taken the taken the fifth. And of course, Donald Trump had a problem with that at the time. Like you see on the mob, right? You see the mob takes the fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Yeah, great question. Why are you? Well, there's a lot of reasons that you can be innocent and take the Fifth Amendment. And uh, it seems like his own Donald Trump's own former national security advisor has now taken the fifth in regard to subpoenas from the uh, U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee. We will get to that with my guest as well today. Also, again, every single tweet, Des, you're right. I mean, every single position, he's got a tweet that counters it. This was back in uh, 2015, uh, right after he had declared his, uh, his intention to run for president back in June of 2015. He tweeted, I was the first and only potential GOP candidate to state there will be no cuts to Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. Huckabee copied me. 
He was talking about uh, Mike Huckabee, uh, who was also running, I guess, or flirting with running at the time for president of the United States in 2015. And when Donald Trump said there will be no cuts to Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. Well, meanwhile, today, CNN reports in advance of Donald Trump's budget plan to be submitted tomorrow to Congress. Headline, President Trump's budget which is expected to be unveiled on Tuesday, will include $800 billion in cuts to Medicaid. Just another go. day, yeah, just another day of Trump saying one thing, doing another, and the rest of us scrambling to figure out what the hell is and isn't actually going on. To that end, we will be joined momentarily by the great Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com to try to hopefully bring some sanity to all the madness, some rationality to the nation's continuing surrealistic nightmare, and anything else that she may be able to do to help us manage life on the precipice in these United States this week, even as Trump is currently bringing his brand to the presidency to foreign nations across the Middle East and Europe this week. So we'll talk to Heather about that as well, given that uh, given that news earlier today suggests Trump may be digging himself even deeper into one of his own messes, one of his own messes of his own making while he's in Israel regarding his domestic problems and uh, and at the same time potentially undermining himself with his own supporters if that's even possible. But first, quickly, some news of, uh, of news of note today from the U.S. Supreme Court. Two different decisions. Two different decisions. Both of them, uh, I would say, encouraging for voting rights folks in a big way. Uh, two different decisions that uh, seem to suggest there are some odd alliances right now on the Supreme Court. Now that uh, Justice, Neil, uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch is sitting in that uh, stolen Supreme Court seat vacated by Antonin Scalia and stolen for him by Senate Republicans to assure a five to four majority on the high court. Well, in two different elections related cases today from the court, the majority does not appear to have helped Republicans. At this point, surprisingly enough, uh, the, the uh, as uh, the L.A. Times reports, new Justice Neil Gorsuch joined Clarence Thomas in dissenting Monday when the Supreme Court rejected an appeal from a Republican Party lawyer seeking to strike down limits on big money contributions to political parties. So this was a 7-2 to two vote. Only Gorsuch and Thomas were in the minority here. The high court upheld limits that were set in the McCain-Feingold Act back in 2002. But as the Times notes, uh, Gorsuch, uh, the dissent by Gorsuch, is his first. It's his most significant decision to date since joining the court last month. And it puts him squarely on the side of conservatives, so-called conservatives and Republican lawyers who believe that limits on political money are just unconstitutional in any way, shape or form. You'll recall that in 2010, in the Supreme Court's Citizens United ruling, uh, that remade law concerning political spending, it struck down a lot of the limits on independent spending to outside, so-called outside organizations, not to candidates, not to parties, but these uh, so-called, uh, you know, C4, 501c4 organizations that, hey, we're not supporting any particular candidate. We're all about issues. That's all we're talking about. 
So they took away all of the spending limits on that in Citizens United. But in that case, Justice Kennedy had said that spending, uh, while it can be made without any limits uh, for uh, independent groups because it does not directly support candidates or parties, limits on supporting candidates and parties can still stand and they do still stand right now. As it is, Congress uh, right now, Congress has a limit of twenty seven hundred dollars from individuals to candidates. National parties, however, may take contributions up to thirty three thousand nine hundred dollars. State and local parties may take donations up to ten thousand dollars. But even that was not enough for the Republicans who who filed a challenge here. And in this case, uh, this was an Indiana lawyer who was uh, also the architect, by the way, of the Citizens United case. Same guy, James Bopp Jr. He filed a new suit saying that limits on party contributions should also be struck down. And the Supreme Court today, in that 7-2 to two, uh, decision, uh, said, no, we're going to keep those limits in place. That means that the conservative appointees, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, Justice uh, Justices Kennedy and Alito, they seem to have joined the Democratic appointees here in ruling against Republicans by not taking up this case. And uh, that is uh, that is some very good news. Uh, Though it gives you an idea where Gorsuch is uh, sitting at this point. In this case, you know, if there was any question about that, it's him and Clarence Thomas on the far right wing end of the spectrum. Pretty shocking to think that Gorsuch is to the left of Alito. Of Alito, I know. Uh, And also in what court watchers are calling even much bigger, in fact, huge news today, Uh, Where do I have it here? Here we go. Uh, The Supreme Court has issued a five to three opinion in Cooper v. Harris. Now, that's five to three. That's only eight justices, because in this particular case, this was a case that was heard before Gorsuch was seated. So this uh, decision goes on without him. And yet it was not a tie. It was not four to four, as, as was certainly expected by many, in which case the lower court decision would have stood. In this case, Justice Kagan wrote the opinion for the court with Justice Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, making the fifth vote for affirmance in this case. Thomas joined the so-called liberal wing. Exactly. Uh, Roberts, Alito, Kennedy, they all dissented. So uh, a very surprising and interesting uh, uh, grouping here. The bottom line, as Rick Hassan over at Election Law Blog notes, this decision by Justice Kagan is a major victory for voting rights plaintiffs who have succeeded in turning the racial gerrymandering cause of action into an effective tool to go after partisan gerrymanders, at least in southern states. Let me, because uh, I, I, I hope we'll, we'll be getting to this uh, case uh, a little bit later in the week in more details. But in general, Republicans have been using this defense of late saying, oh, no, that wasn't a racial gerrymander. We didn't uh, change those districts in order to, you know, uh, ensure that uh, uh, white people would be able to win more districts or than uh, than black voters or Hispanic voters. We did it for partisan reasons. We did it because we want Republicans to win. And believe it or not, uh, that so far has been uh, a legitimate argument for them to make. And they're making it in a lot of cases. No, this, this has nothing to do with uh, racial uh, ideology and racial disenfranchisement. This is all about helping out Republicans. Well, 
This time, Kagan said, look, if, you know, when you're in the South, uh, basically you can identify Democrats by keeping black voters from being able to cast their vote. So to say that uh, uh, this has nothing to do with, you know, a racial issues, this is purely a partisan issue, that does not wash. And that was the winning opinion today. I don't have time to go into more details on this today. Uh, but I hope to in the future, because as uh, Rick Hassan notes, holy cow, this is a big deal. And he ends his analysis with one word. Wow. So this is a very big deal, and this could have an effect on a lot of other gerrymandering cases across the country. We've been reporting in recent months that lower courts have found uh, one case after another after another in state after state that Republicans have been purposely gerrymandering in a way that is above and beyond the way they are allowed to gerrymandering to gerrymander uh, in violation of the Voting Rights Acts and um, and now uh, this question of whether it's OK to partisan uh, to gerrymander on a partisan level, the Supreme Court, at least in this one case, thanks to Clarence Thomas. A phrase you'd never <laughs> thought you'd hear me say uh, that has uh, that argument, at least for now, has won the day. And Alito, who wrote the dissent, is absolutely furious. I would think livid is a good it. word for it. It yes. is. All right. Uh, do we have time? Let me try to get to this real quick. Earlier this month, uh, Greg Gianforte, he's the Republican running for an open House seat in Montana. Yes. Speaking of elections, we have a special election coming up this week, this Thursday, not on Tuesday, but it's on Thursday in the state of Montana. A uh, special election for the U.S. House. Montana has just one single congressional district for the entire state. But the Republican earlier in the month um, he was asked whether he would have supported the affordable uh, the bill that had repealed the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare on the same day that the Republicans in the U.S. House passed the American Health Care Act. He said at the time uh, that he would need to know all the facts because it's important to know exactly what's in the bill before he votes on it. This is according to one of his uh, spokespeople. Uh, he's running against Rob Quist, the Democratic nominee for the seat that was vacated by the now Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke. But on the same day that he said, oh, I don't know how I would vote uh, for that uh, Republican uh, repeal of Obamacare. That same day, he had he was on a conference call with Republican leaning lobbyists in Washington and he had a completely different view when he was talking to these folks uh, with a lot of money and trying to raise it from them. All eyes are on Montana. Um, and the reason it has national significance is the votes in the House are going to determine whether we get tax reform done. Uh, sounds like we just passed a health care thing, which I'm thankful for, that we're starting to repeal and replace. We're going to have to peel back these regulations to make it easier. So he was thankful, very thankful, very thankful that they passed that bill that his own spokesman said, oh, I'm not sure how he feels about it. We'd have to review the bill first. Well, he was talking to lobbyists and he was asking them to give five thousand dollars each uh, in order to, quote, scare off some other Democrat money on the uh, on that call. He said, we've had over 5,000 individual people supporting the campaign financially so far. Well, that sounds pretty good. Five thousand people. 
Then he added, the challenge is my opponent has over 30,000 contributors. And yes, those contributors were not giving $5,000 a piece. Apparently, they were giving an average of $25 a piece. Which uh, which Quist was uh, was sort of uh, bragging about this weekend as he was campaigning across the state with Bernie Sanders. You remember that uh, he used to brag that his own average contributions were how much? Twenty seven dollars. Right. Uh, so he is unabashedly. Uh, campaigning with Bernie Sanders across the state. And it's a very we're going to keep our eyes on this this week because it's a very interesting race. You had Donald Trump win the state of Montana. People think of it as a Republican state. Uh, Donald Trump won there by 20 percent, a huge margin. However, in that very same election, they elected uh, Democratic governor Steve Bullock, uh, who beat, by the way, Gianforte. The one who's now running for uh, for so, this seat. So maybe, maybe there's some uh, some weakness there. So he's running against Quist, who's a folk singer, popular folk singer across the state, who's running on a, a populist uh, campaign. He's never run for uh, for office before. So this is going to be a very interesting matchup to watch, uh, not just for what this could say about Republicans who are freaking out, really concerned about how this might go. Right now, the Republican is ahead of Quist, but we're told it's down now to single digits, according to, um, according to uh, uh, inside polling from the, uh, from the candidates themselves. But it's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, a lot of corporatist Democrats have been scared to death to run along with Bernie Sanders and uh, for uh, single payer health care and so forth. Well, not Rob Quist. He's running hard with Bernie Sanders on this. So uh, the results here themselves, uh, they're going to shake things up no matter what, no matter what happens on Thursday. Both parties have a reason to watch this as far as which way the wind is blowing. But right now, an upset by Quist this Thursday would likely be earth-shattering for for both major parties, but particularly for the Democrats, where there is still a war between Bernie supporters and uh, and Hillary supporters. And we haven't talked about that much this week, or I'm sorry, much this uh, month for the last several months. But I hope to do so in the future. So all eyes on Montana this week. All right, a quick break. And we are back with all eyes back on Donald Trump with our friend Heather Digby Parton. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do ya? <laughs> well, it goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift. <laughs> The battle king from Bones 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Keep that playing under me here for a sec, Daz. Uh, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It was a wistful, cold opening of sorts to Saturday Night Live's final show of the season over the past weekend with Alec Baldwin once again reprising his caricatured portrayal of Donald Trump, uh, this time playing the piano and offering his own version of uh, Leonard Cohn's Hallelujah. It was an echo of the version of the same that SNL's Kate McKinnon offered as she played Hillary Clinton during the first show back this season following the election last year with McKinnon's Clinton character seemingly offering a bittersweet final farewell of sorts. So uh, with Alec Baldwin's Donald Trump joined on stage for his version of Hallelujah uh, with fellow cast members in the roles of the of the rest of the Trump family and other members of the Trump administration joining him. Was it SNL's way of saying goodbye to Donald Trump on the premise that he'll he'll not be there when the show resumes this fall? Was it Alec Baldwin's way of saying he's done playing the character at this point? Is that all it was? Or was it just a nice way to close the circle on this insane year to date on SNL's much-watched weekly satire of this historic and mad moment in American history? Uh, Or, as some have said, was the moment uh, a funeral of sorts for Donald Trump and his staff? And if so... Is that funeral a bit premature? For now, anyway, Donald Trump isn't yet going anywhere other than on his nine-day tour of the Middle East and Europe. So uh, is it a bit too early to say goodbye to the troubled administration following yet another insane week or two of quickly, quickly and still broiling scandals that were exposed over the past week, day after day and seemingly hour after hour? particularly following Trump's firing of FBI Director James Comey amidst the FBI's ongoing counterintelligence investigation into alleged collusion between Trump campaign associates and Russia during the 2016 election. And now, reportedly, a criminal investigation into the spidering and otherwise undisclosed financial entanglements between Trump associates and other foreign nations and what seems to be the still-increasing effort to cover it all up by Trump himself and by top members of his team. That apparent cover-up, by the way, uh, to some, including Brad Blog legal, Ernal- uh, legal analyst Ernest Canning, who writes about this today at bradblog.com, increasingly includes questions about Vice President Mike Pence, or as TPM described it in their headline today, what did the Vice President not know and when did he not know it? And White House counsel uh, Don McGahn is also coming up more and more in questions about a potential cover up here. Both are now included uh, among the seemingly never ending expansion of questions about all of this and about unprecedented leaks from senior administration officials following the fire of firing of Trump's short lived national security adviser Michael Flynn and the revelations about his personal ties to Turkey his reported misrepresentation uh, about his conversations with Russian officials, and so much more in the days since all of that. And just by way of reminder here at this point, it has been just barely more than 120 days since Donald Trump took office. 
with at least another 1,300 to go before his first term officially ends in any event in January of 2021. Jesus. Joining us now to take stock of where we are at this point after another insane week in the still young, if unprecedentedly turbulent Trump administration, is a friend who has been with us discussing the Trump madness since the day he descended the escalator at Trump Tower in New York before a group of paid, and I, we people forget this, a group of paid, paid actors pretending to support Donald Trump that day as he announced his fateful intention to run for president of the United States on June 16, 2015. Our old friend Heather Digby Parton is back with us. She's known and beloved too many on the Internet, says Simply Digby. She is, of course, the creator of the long-running Hullabaloo blog and a regular contributor to Salon.com, as well as a prestigious Sidney Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism. Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast, Heather. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, boy, I'm glad you are. Okay, uh, <laughs> so much to catch up with uh, with you on uh, today, Heather. But I got to tell you, I'm exhausted uh, because I stayed up all night watching uh, Twin Peaks last night. Uh, did you watch that show by any chance? I did not, but apparently you just can't get enough surreal <laughs> kind of, of right. uh, yeah, mental stimulation. Because if you watch the, the news every day, you're pretty much getting Twin Peaks. Well, um, in, in one <laughs> sense, you know, you're right. Although on, uh, I think I look back, it was it was actually January 21, the day after Trump was uh, inaugurated. I, uh, I put out a tweet saying, well, it looks like it's going to be up to uh, Twin Peaks to save 2017. <laughs> no pressure, uh, David Lynch. And uh, but he delivered, I should say. If anybody was a, a fan years ago, I think you used to, you, you used to watch it uh, back 25 years ago. I did, I ago. did. I have not seen the new, new one, though, so I will definitely tune in on your recommendation. Yes, I loved it. It was the first two hours since the enti- over the entire year, the first two hours that I wasn't thinking about Donald Trump. Wow, so there's well, now my, that's an endorsement. There's I'll my, tell you. There's my endorsement. I'd do almost anything yes. <laughs> to get Donald Trump out of my mind. Well, this will do it. It'll also give you uh, nightmares, if pleasant ones. Uh, we didn't. One other point we didn't get to uh, uh, before we get to the Trump stuff, uh, I wanted to get to this uh, last week, uh, we but with so much going on, didn't get to it. Uh, so, Heather, now that Roger Ailes, Fox News's disgraced founding creator and arguably Donald Trump's uh, creator as well, now that he died suddenly last week after costing the uh, pretend news channel some $50 million in sexual harassment uh, suit settlements, would you like to say a few nice words about <laughs> Roger Ailes, Heather? Uh, no, no. I didn't think so. Okay, moving on then. You don't mind, yeah. Quite all right. Uh, All right, well, let's get to uh, Trump. He's now been uh, overseas for uh, the past several days. Um, His uh, supporters, he spoke in, uh, gave an address in uh, Riyadh, uh, Saudi Arabia. His supporters uh, uh, reportedly are not happy with him, uh, Heather. He did not use the term radical Islamic terrorism during his speech there in Saudi Arabia. Uh, according to Ross Story, his crime uh, is calling Islam one of the world's great faiths. 
And uh, that, along with ducking the uh, phrase Islamic uh, terrorism or radical Islam, uh, has brought a lot of uh, condemnations, including from people like uh, Roger Stone, his longtime confidant, who said, this makes me want to puke under a picture of Trump bowing before the Saudi king. Uh, other longtime supporters of him have said uh, uh, that he's too scared to say radical Islamic terror. It's pathetic. Uh, one points out that Donald Trump in 2016 said Muslim uh, Muslim is the biggest threat to the to this country. But now he says Islam is a great faith. So is he uh, losing support even while he's uh, trying to? you know, take away attention from all of his domestic problems overseas, Heather? Well, it sounds like they're not happy with him, although, you know, the media does check in with actual Trump voters Mm -hmm. on a pretty much a daily basis, if not an hourly basis, just to see what they're thinking, because there's nothing more interesting or more important (laughs) in the world than what Trump voters think. And the last I heard, and I think it was probably this morning, Mm -hmm. there is nothing he can say or do. (laughs) <laughs> that will change their minds. They love him, and no matter what he says or does, it's okay by them. So it may be that some of the elite Trumpies, yeah, in you know, are are upset that he has gone back on something that he said. His base, which mm-hmm. he uh, you know correctly pointed out during the campaign, would stick with him even if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue. Uh, I would bet that they don't care or understand or know or have a clue <laughs> about any of this stuff that he's saying and doing um, over there in the Middle East. But, I mean, one of the things, first of all, let me just make a correction. He yeah. did not bow. That was not a bow. Mm-hmm. He curtsied. <laughs> very different. And that may be fine. Um, you know, they were very upset, these very same people, upset with President Obama right. uh, for bowing before foreign leaders. I mm-hmm. guess he was supposed to, you know, walk up and slap them across the face or throw down the gauntlet or something. Um, but they were very, very upset about that. And so Trump, I think, was very much aware of it. And so he kind of leaned over to accept this gigantic gold medal that the Saudi prince gave him. Right. Um, and in the process of doing that, he kind of did a nice little dipsy dipsy curtsy, <laughs> uh, which, you know, really, it was very nice. It's the kind of curtsy that they teach you at Cotillion, I think. Um, mm. So, I, you know, it, it may have passed, that may have been fine, um, even even among the elite Trumpies. If they look at it closely, they may realize he didn't bow, he curtsied. So I think it's okay. Well, Trump himself had uh, was, was highly critical, apparently, that Michelle Obama, when she traveled uh, uh, to Saudi Arabia, did not wear a headscarf. That's right. And then his own wife wore no headscarf. So, uh, it, it, didn't go with the outfit, Brad. Uh, well, I mean, then that the explains that. The headscarf was not going to work with one of those outfits. Is so. any of this, well, actually, I was going to ask you if any of this uh, so far, it looks like it might help to distract from his own domestic problems. But then I don't he, think so. Well, he had <laughs> this, uh, well, I don't think so either, because he had this comment with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Does, do you have this uh, audio? Uh, this was just, a, I think, reported just an hour or so ago uh, after his comments. He's now in uh, Tel Aviv with Benjamin Netanyahu. And for some reason, he said uh, Donald Trump with Netanyahu at his side, correct? Yes, they were at a press availability with Netanyahu. And you can see when you watch the video that Netanyahu is trying to pull him away from the cameras and heard Trump away. And instead, Trump actually hushed everybody and stopped the proceedings to say this. Just so you understand, I never mentioned 
the word or the name Israel. Never mentioned it during that conversation. They were all saying I did. So you had another story wrong. Never mentioned the word Israel. So he was talking about... <laughs> His comments with uh, with Russian diplomats uh, when he in the Oval Office last week or a week before when he gave what was supposed to be classified information when he talked about that in front of them. Uh, and that information reportedly came from Israel. So he brought it up to say, uh, no, I never said the word Israel. Your thoughts on that? Dick? Well, I mean, the, the, the point is, it's really absurd, but. The point is that no one ever said that he told them that the information came from Israel. And in fact, his national security advisor, McMaster, came out and said very clearly the next day that he didn't even know where the information came from, which is would be an indictment of a normal president, but right. I think that was supposed to soothe us and think, oh, good, we're not giving him any of that information. So he comes and blurts this out, essentially confirming it. And in Israel, he says it. And, and you know, the background to this is that the Israelis, from January on, have been absolute, the, the, the you know, the intelligence mm-hmm. officials in, in Israel have been frightened to death that he was going to do exactly what he did. This was in all the papers in Israel um, that, back in January, they were very, very um, nervous about giving Donald Trump intelligence. I mean, you know, they live in a dangerous neighborhood, and this is the kind of thing that can really, I mean, it gets people killed, right? I mean, this is not, mm-hmm. this is serious right. business. <clears throat> and um, so they were they were petrified that he was going to do it, and of course he did it, and then goes to Israel and stands there with the prime minister and <laughs> tells everybody on camera, yeah, it was Israel, yeah, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I never said it to the Russians. Of course, he's saying it to the entire world now. <laughs> Um, you know, this is the kind of thing now. Granted, because he was, he was in essence confirming it when he yeah, said he it today it. Him, himself. He, he confirmed it. Yeah. And and you know, this has been look all the way along. He's been, you know, he yesterday or over the weekend. I'm not sure if it was Saturday or Sunday. I think it was Sunday. He was, um, you know, he gave his big speech, um, the big, you know, Islam speech, and um, he, you know, he misspoke. He said used the word. Islamic instead of Islamist, and that's a, a significant, uh, a significantly, you know, mm-hmm. distinction, um, right. and and it was important. And so reporters asked his his uh, his staff about it, and they said, "Well, this is one exhausted guy, and he didn't do it." I mean, the guy's been on the road for three days. It's right. not like he's been, you know. I mean, I've had tougher trips than that to San Diego, you know. I mean, it's, it's like, and he's flying on Air Force One. He's got every, you know, luxury there. You know he does. Um, and this is the guy who, by the way, spent the entire campaign saying that Hillary Clinton didn't have the strength or the stamina. Right. And, and Jeb Bush had low energy. And apparently he is just not handling it very well. They had to cancel a speech that he gave. His daughter, Ivanka, went and gave the speech in his stead. Um, because apparently he went back to the hotel. So, you know, mm. I think if he's this exhausted that he's making those kind of mistakes, and this is only the fourth day, and he's blurting out, you know, intelligence mm. <laughs> to the international press, I don't even want to think about what it's going to be like on the ninth day. I mean, this mm. guy is just, he's bumbling his way through, as he always does. I mean, he's always dancing as fast as he can, but this is just, you know, it's it's mind-boggling watching this thing happen, and no, he cannot avoid what's going on here at home. That is, every time you see his face, I think people are thinking, 
about him and that you're automatically thinking about what a dumpster fire his presidency is. So, you know, the best thing for him would be to disappear completely for a while. Yeah, well, that's kind of hard to do when you're president. Yeah. Uh, for the record here, uh, former CIA director Michael Hayden, uh, who uh, wrote to, uh, I believe uh, he wrote to Jennifer Rubin on this at Washington Post to say, uh, in to get a response on uh, naming Israel there, he said, uh, Hayden said, choice one, say nothing. Choice two, if forced to comment, say no specific sources were mentioned. Choice three, don't use choice two standing next to the Israeli prime minister. <laughs> no kidding. So uh, Everything about it was absolutely, I mean, it was astonishing. I burst out laughing when I saw it live, and I burst out laughing. I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. But, you know, this is one exhausted guy, so he doesn't really know what he's doing, as usual. Yeah, well, maybe he was up watching Twin Peaks all night <laughs> last night. All right, uh, let me do this. Let's, let's take a break, because I want to come back. I want to talk about the, the latest in the uh, Michael Flynn story. We've got news from the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee on that. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Michael Pence uh, and uh, and the, the Comey witch hunt uh, and impeachment. So a whole lot more I want to ask you about Heather Digby-Parton. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with all of that and more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. This can all seem like a terrible work of fiction, which actually brings us to our final question, is this real life? To which the answer is, unfortunately, yes. Is this the real life? Yep. Is this just fantasy? Pinch yourself. Caught in a Sometimes, you know, I have to really, I have to pinch myself to ask, is this real? Is this really going on? And frankly, is this as bad as it seems? Is this as unprecedented, as crazy as it seems? And then, of course, that was John Oliver on uh, HBO's Last Week Tonight, sort of having the same take that I do. Uh, Is this real? Well, yeah, it is. So welcome back to reality. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with our friend and uh, guest Heather Digby-Parton of salon.com. Heather, we've got news today that uh, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn will not comply with, uh, with a subpoena from the Senate Intelligence Committee. 
Um, the reports say that uh, Flynn, who is currently under very serious FBI investigation and grand jury subpoenas, that he will invoke his Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate himself with the Senate Intelligence uh, Committee. Uh, though reportedly, uh, former campaign chief Paul Manafort and former campaign advisor Carter Page are complying and turning over documents to that committee. Uh, but with this uh, is FBI investigation into Flynn, is there any surprise? Uh, are, are you surprised that he's not uh, turning over documents to the uh, Intelligence Committee? Uh, frankly, I don't I don't know that I would comply either if I was in the case he's in. I Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's he's going by the... Uh you know, the advice of his attorneys who are telling him not to incriminate himself. He's in trouble. I mean, he's. I, I think it's pretty clear that if, just from what we know, and we probably don't know everything, he was in the employ of foreign governments, and he was actually, you, you know, influencing the, uh, the government mm-hmm. um, on behalf of those uh, of those governments, um, you know he, he he. I don't know what motivates this guy. He is a real enigma to me. Flynn is. I, I suspect that maybe there's some kind of mental uh, dislocation of some sort that happened to him somewhere along the line. There's something you know very wrong there. But yeah. and this does happen. I mean, you know, there have been cases of guys like you know. Remember Robert Hansen, the FBI um, agent who for years had been, you know, a, mm-hmm. a spy for the Russian government and was doing it purely for the money. And it was just, it wasn't all that much money. You know, it mm-hmm. was these, these, some people just get a little twisted in the head. Now I, I, I'm totally speculating here. I have no idea what made Flynn do this, but of course, you know, you've got Donald Trump there who was just so incredibly clueless that he's a perfect mark for anybody who wants to influence, you know, a president on behalf of foreign governments. So, I mean, this is a very dangerous situation, and he and it, there's enough out there now, uh, including news today, apparently, that he lied to Pentagon investigators uh, when they asked him about the foreign payments. Uh, that's illegal. That's a felony. You, can't, you know, when you get asked by the government about stuff, just... You know, don't lie. Lying <laughs> not to a, Congress. Not a good idea. Yeah, uh, lying to um, Congress, lying to the government. Well, yeah. if if Mike uh, Michael Flynn, if he uh, in fact did, as he seems to be now claiming that he told the uh, the Trump administration about this, or the I guess the Trump transition at uh, about all of this, he he says he told them that he was under investigation. I believe he's ex- said that he had uh, told them about his uh, ties to Turkey. And by the way, that was just a stunning story last week that Amazing. also got overlooked. That he. He essentially nixed a, uh, you know, said no to the Obama administration, who was considering a, uh, a move that essentially a military uh, operation that Turkey was against. And uh, Michael Flynn said, no, no, don't do it. Um, don't know who who else he told in the administration in the transition about that. But he claims he told the administration, the, the transition, Mike Pence, uh, Donald Trump about this. Uh, and yeah. if... I don't know if we know that's true or not, but let's if he did, if he did tell the uh, administration about this, if Donald Trump knew about this, knew about an FBI investigation into Michael Flynn and still hired him on as his national security advisor, uh, is that actionable in any way that you know about? You know, I don't know if it is. I don't you know, obviously it's actionable in terms of impeachment, which Gerald Ford famously said, you know, impeachment's whatever the House of Representatives <laughs> says it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever, if he, if he becomes politically, um, you know, in, in, 
you know, unstable um, enough that the House actually decides. Something like that, I would assume, could become an article of impeachment, abuse of office of some sort, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be, uh, impeachment isn't necessarily a legal um, procedure. So that could certainly be something that could play into it. I don't know about on any legal basis that he did anything wrong. I think a president can, you know, hire outright criminals uh, if they want to, and, you know, I think he has. Um, and I think that's that's normal for for him. I mean, Trump has some other issues out there that have strong legal ramifications. This this we also know this week that or last week it, mm-hmm. that this Comey investigation. Once once they um, uh, you know assigned the special prosecutor Robert Mueller, um, it, n- news filtered out and was leaked that there's a cover-up investigation going on, too, and one assumes that that has something to do with the fact that Trump, you know, again, uh, spilled the beans to the Russians that, you know, don't worry, I, you know, I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it sounded like he said, don't worry, I took care of our little problem. <laughs> you know, Jim Comey's out of there. We got rid of him. You know, I mean, we, we, we uh, uh-huh. you know, we deep-sixed him or whatever. Right. Um, that's how it sounded to me. Now, you know, there's a, are more generous interpretations that he was just, you know, explaining to them that he had relieved the, you know, the pressure on the Russian investigation. However you look at it, that does appear to be potentially an obstruction of justice, that he fired someone in order to end an investigation. Foolishly, if that was his intention, since an investigation would continue, but he felt, I guess, that Comey was disloyal um, and was not a member of the team, so he needed to go. And uh, him admitting that and it being on the record and having people leaking all that, I mean, all of that is just churning this story in a way that's just inescapable. And I, you know, I don't know, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. at the top of the show, that uh, you know, on Saturday Night Live was at a funeral for Trump, or was it just, you know, winding up the season or whatever? I mean, it's too early to tell what's going to happen. I mean, I think there's just, it's believable that he'll still be there in 2019 uh, running for re-election. It's totally possible. But on the other hand, we've never seen anything like this. So I don't know whether or not this whole thing could fall apart within a year. I mean, it seems possible to me that that could happen. L- let me ask uh, your thoughts, uh, Heather Digby, Parton, on uh, on Mike Pence. In uh, you know, as long as you brought up uh, the I word, as long as you brought up impeachment here, all of course, if if uh, Donald Trump were impeached, or I would think more likely he just pulls a Sarah Palin and quits suddenly at some point. Um, then, of course, Mike Pence becomes uh, becomes president of the United States. And now Bradblog legal analyst Ernie Canning writes about this today at Bradblog.com, citing what he describes as Vice President Mike Pence's Sergeant Schultz defense, that essentially he saw nothing, he knew nothing uh, regarding uh, former National Security Advisor uh, uh, Michael Flynn and his uh, undisclosed ties to foreign nations. So, uh, Heather, let me ask you, do you accept the explanation and this came uh, from sources late last week that are reportedly close to uh, to Mike Pence. Uh, they've been working hard to get this story out. Essentially, that Pence was kept completely in the dark about a couple of different key things in this entire investigation. Uh, that he was kept in the dark. He didn't lie about these things. He didn't know. So, one... 
that uh, as head of the Trump transition team, which is what Mike Pence was, and by the way, Mike Flynn was the vice chair of the transition team. In any event, uh, Pence had no idea that Flynn was under uh, either under investigation by the FBI, as Flynn now claims he told Trump attorney uh, who is now the White House counsel, Don McGahn, and that uh, Pence had no idea that uh, Congressman uh, Elijah Cummings had sent a letter to the transition team telling him about these ties to foreign governments. That's one point that Pence says he knew nothing about. The other point, more controversial, I guess, since media seems to take Pence at his word for this, um, Pence is saying that he had no idea that Flynn had discussed sanctions with the Russian ambassador prior to the inauguration. Everyone seems to be taking Pence at his word on that for some reason. So, and I don't know if we should. Uh, so was was Pence kept in the dark here? Was he was he played as a, a fool or, you know, was he incompetent as his at his transition job or is he a liar or all of the above? Heather? Well, you know, he's got to be one or the other. Right. He's either incompetent at the job or he's he's lying. And he did know about it. And basically, they just decided to let it go. I mean, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's obvious that Trump knew uh, pretty early on. We know that McGahn the minute Sally Yates left the office to tell him about the, uh, you know, the potential for Flynn being blackmailed, right. McGahn ran into Trump and told him. And now they're saying that Trump never said anything to, to um, Pence for 18 days, and Pence read about it in the paper. I find this really not believable. I, I mean, it just it is not believable to me that he was, he was unaware. Moreover, look at what happened with Comey. And I, to me, this is really the killer on Pence. Mm-hmm. He was in the room when they made, he and Kushner mm-hmm. were in the room when Trump made the decision to fire Comey. So he knew that Trump was firing Comey on the basis of the Russian investigation, not on the basis of this ridiculous, you know, cover story they put out that they were upset about Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton's email controversy with Comey. To me, that really shows a consciousness of, that he's very much involved on the most sensitive issues in the, in the um, administration. This is something, if he knew about that, then he knows what's going on underneath all this. Then he's aware of all of this. And I'm telling you, I really think that when this whole thing is done, a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people on our side are going, oh, my God, you know, do we really want to get rid of Trump? Because mm-hmm. then we have Pence, and he's horrible. And they're right. Pence is a nightmare. But I think Pence is forever tainted by this. I think he's been there. He has been Trump's right-hand man. He was chosen by Paul Manafort. Don't forget, Manafort's the one who, you know, lied to Trump and told him that the plane was delayed so that he'd talk to Pence and then he would be put on the ticket. I mean, Pence is involved in this up to his eyeballs. And I don't know how deeply it goes or whether he has legal exposure, but he has political exposure. And I don't think that anybody's ever going to let him forget it. I really don't. And I think that that is going to, even if he were to ascend to the presidency, he will be crippled, as will, hopefully, the entire Republican Party. And that's only if the Democrats are smart enough to take advantage of it. Oh, well, Democrats are always smart. You know that. Oh, well, I know. Uh, they're, 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 so, the, they're so efficient, too. And they're, they're on this. They're so they, talented, yeah. They've mapped this whole thing out. Mm-hmm. They've got it figured out. Uh, there's actually, well, is, you brought up this point. I want to ask you about it. And one more before we run out of time here, because uh, a point that has sort of been overlooked in the entire uh, well, the report about what uh, Donald Trump said to 
uh, to James Comey at that uh, infamous uh, Oval Office one-on-one. I want to get to that in a second. But as long as you brought up, once again, this impeachment and Mike Pence, uh, I will allow you to revise and amend your remarks here in the future on this, uh, Heather, if you decide. But is it even a good idea uh, to impeach Donald Trump, if that's what the way this goes, uh, would you know? It seems obvious that Mike Pence is a much more competent politician. He wouldn't be nearly as scary as uh, as President of the United States, I guess. But what is you know for Democrats and for progressives and hell for the nation? Uh, you got Donald Trump, who's this bumbling, obviously incompetent rube, or you've got Mike Pence, who's at least a more accomplished liar and an even harder right partisan manipulator. So uh, is it better to have someone like Trump that everybody knows is a, is a fool or to have someone like uh, a Pence in there who I would argue is much more dangerous when it comes to undercutting, uh, you know, progressive values and, and the things at least the Democrats care about in this country? Oh, I'm on the I'm on the team of just you know take out the <laughs> clear and present danger, mm. and then you know cross the other bridge when we come to it. I think, I, as I just said, I think that Pence will be um, badly, badly uh, wounded and tainted by this administration. I don't think that he will have the ability to do anything. I mean, I shouldn't say the ability. Mm-hmm. Any president has power, uh, but so does Donald Trump. And mm-hmm. and to me. Having this man in in the Oval Office is is an abs. It is it is the greatest danger we've faced in our lifetimes. Um, we don't know what he's going to do. I mean, look what he just did today. You know, he's just blurting out secrets in front of the international press. And yes, it seems kind of it's bumbling. It makes me laugh. I'm just kind of rolling my eyes. But at the same time, this is real life. It's it's dangerous. This man cannot be president. And I believe that if he is impeached and uh, Pence, yeah, I think there's a good chance that Pence could be implicated in this whole thing, too. So who knows? Maybe we'll have Paul Ryan. Now, there's a fun thought. He's, yeah. you know, the next in line. So I just don't think, you know, look, we can't game this all the way out because mm-hmm. as long as Republicans are in power, uh, we've got to deal with Republicans. So, you know, we take out the crazy man with impeachment if if it is possible and then, you know, deal with the next one. God well, good for it. you. I think you're putting uh, country over party in that consideration, perhaps, uh, which is nice. Uh, let me ask you, uh, finally, as we go, you know, I, so this, this Oval Office meeting, this meeting with Comey after uh, uh, Trump had asked, uh, I think it was, uh, both Mike Pence and and, I, and Jeff Sessions, I think, had was was he the other one in that mm-hmm. meeting? They had asked yeah. him to leave so that Trump could have some one on one time with with uh, Donald Trump, in which he said, hey, essentially, can you let this uh, can you let this Flynn investigation go? Uh, but there was another aspect that got lost that was reported. And again, these are from documents that came from the White House itself. Uh, New York Times reports it this way. Uh, Trump began the discussion by condemning leaks to the news media, saying that uh, Mr. Comey should consider putting reporters in prison for publishing classified information. Uh, That is a a remark, if true. That's a remarkable statement, and it hasn't gotten a lot of attention because of everything else that's going on. But um, should we should we take that statement uh, at, at face value if it's accurate, or is this just a uh, you know journalists, people like you and me, over worrying you know li- liberal snowflakes like you and I, uh, <laughs> Heather, 
you know, trying to play another card against Donald Trump? Or is this ser- a serious concern that he's telling the FBI director that he should uh, uh, that he should put reporters in prison for publishing classified information? Well, yes, I think we should take it very seriously because it's part and parcel of of one of the most effective parts of the Trump administration so far, and that is what's happening at the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security. Um, Trump is a bumbling fool. The people who are running those departments are not. Trump saying that to Comey was a mistake. I mean, first of all, you know, the president shouldn't even be meeting alone with the FBI director and talking about that sort of thing. That's mm-hmm. inappropriate. It shouldn't be done. But he's not the guy who decides to put um, reporters in jail. That would be uh, his friend Jeff Sessions. And that guy is a guy who will do it. As far as I can tell, he is by far the most dangerous, malevolent person in the administration, and he is getting the job done. So, yes, I would be worried. And, you know, this is this is an administration that is, you know, run by a guy who basically ran against the media. He had people spitting on reporters at his at his rallies, and he continues to do it. This is his favorite enemy, and, of course, he hates them more than he ever has before, right? I mean, there's never I, – I mean, he always – hated them and now it's it's got to be a burning loathing (laughs) you know to his very Mm. soul considering the kind of pressure that he's under by the media so i would be very concerned about this i mean these are you know the department of justice can do a whole lot of things um and sure we've got the courts and we can wend our way through the courts but in the meantime i wrote about this for salon Mm -hmm. a few days ago and uh you know there are things happening there was a a reporter in west virginia who was arrested for trying to talk to uh tom price the health and human services Mm -hmm. um guy and they were there was a uh, meeting of the uh I guess it was the FCC, they were talking about net neutrality, mm-hmm. and they called some security guards on a, on a reporter and physically manhandled him mm-hmm. and escorted him out. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's happening now, and I don't think we should ignore it. And, uh, you know, I, I, Trump himself, I don't know what he can do about it, but I know that Jeff Sessions has an entire Department of Justice under him, and they can do things. They can do these kinds of things. In, in your article at Salon, headline, Donald Trump longs to lock up journalists and sooner or later he's going to try it. Uh, you suggest that people in authority are taking their cues from the president, yes. and that's disturbing in and of itself. You can read that at Salon.com along with a whole bunch of other stuff from our friend Heather Digby-Parton, who I suspect we will be talking to again soon. Uh, check her out at Salon.com and at uh, her Hullabaloo blog, which you can get to at digbysblog.blogspot.com. And, of course, on the Twitters at Digby56. Uh, Heather, we're going to continue talking to you more and more as this uh, <laughs> continues to unravel, whether you like it or not. I'll, I'm always here. I'm going to go watch Twin Peaks now and take a break from the surreality of the of the cable news. Yeah, look at something uh, normal and not strange <laughs> at all, like Twin Peaks. That'll clear your head. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. All right. I got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and of course to Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day here on Your Public Airwaves. Uh, And if you like, you can drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where I hope you'll share us far and wide. 
I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.